0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
1: On this episode, something extraordinary happened to Betty Andreessen. Maybe she encountered non-human visitors or maybe something even more strange.
2: Two beings were with me. They were dressed in silver suits and they gave me uh, something very uh, sweet to drink and they put uh, things so that I could breathe and then liquid was filling the seat that I was in, and the uh, researchers thought, well, perhaps it was something to transport me someplace, and I needed to be immersed in a liquid or something.
1: Have you subscribed to my free monthly newsletter yet? The Inner Sanctum is jam-packed with news and information, and it's delivered free to your email inbox once a month. All you need to do is register your name and email address at my website, strangeplanet.ca. The Inner Sanctum contains a spotlight on previous guests from my weekly radio program and this podcast. There's my podcast pick of the month, a book club, a This Month in Conspiracy history section, and more. The Inner Sanctum is yours, absolutely free. Again, all you need to do is register at strangeplanet.ca. And once you've registered, your name automatically goes into a monthly draw for great Strange Planet gear from my Strange Planet shop. Register right now at strangeplanet.ca.
0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrat.
1: It is one of the seminal cases of alien abduction. Most of us, I would gather, are familiar with the Betty and Barney Hill alien abduction. That was the American couple allegedly abducted by extraterrestrials in a rural portion of New Hampshire back in September of 1961. Uh, But perhaps, I would argue, the best documented case of its kind to date is the Betty Andreessen encounter of 1967 in the city of Ashburnham, Massachusetts, on the night of January 25th. One of the most celebrated cases of UFO abduction began Betty Andreessen was working in her kitchen while her seven children, mother and father, were in the living room. Shortly after 6.30, the lights in the house briefly blinked. Immediately thereafter, a reddish light began to beam through the kitchen window. The sudden darkness in the house set the kids' nerves on edge, and Betty ran to comfort them. Her father ran into the kitchen to peer out the window and find the source of the unusual light to his utter shock, he saw five odd-looking beings coming toward the house in a, well, with a hopping motion. And so it began almost forty years ago. And here to tell the remarkable story is Betty Andreessen Luca and her husband Bob Luca. Welcome to you both.
2: Yes, and hello to your listeners.
1: A pleasure to have you with us. Now, I gave a very brief uh, synopsis of what happened. Uh, Betty, if, if I could get you to uh, just take us back to that date and fill in some of those blanks.
2: Okay. Well, uh, after my father had uh, rushed past me, I was not aware of it, uh, but he went into the pantry, pantry area. And the pantry was the kitchen plus a half wall, and then uh, the cabinets and and the sink uh, was located in the other half. And I could not see that he was there, but there's a window right in the front, and as you said, uh, he was the first, actually, to see the five beings coming down the hill, and uh, I was not aware of that until later. But uh, when I came into the kitchen, because I, I thought the reddish-orange light was either the fire department or the police department um, out there, and so I thought something was going on, and I went into the kitchen, and as I was standing there, all of a sudden, five strange-looking beings entered my home right through the wooden door. They were standing there, they were d- dressed in a uh, blue suit, uh, they had, like, um, a belt and a sash across their chest, and there was sort of an emblem on their shoulder, on their arm. And they had a large head, uh, gray skin, and large, dark eyes. And this was very fearful to me at first, but uh, immediately scripture went into my mind, entertain the stranger. Or it may be angels unaware and this gave me peace and comfort so all of a sudden everything was all right and the beings that stood there uh, the leader said to me that they were there and they wanted uh, I thought at first through the mind they were communicating to me and I thought they wanted something to eat and so I uh, started. to... I went to the refrigerator, got some meat, and I put it in the frying pan. began to cook it. And when that happened, the leader jumped back as if startled. And and then through the mind, I heard them say, "No, no, no, we want knowledge tried by fire."
1: Well, hang on, You're, this is interesting, fascinating. Uh, first of all, they, they were communicating with you telepathically. Yes, but they your were. first, your first instinct. I mean, obviously. You know, mother of seven children, you must be an incredibly nurturing person, and your first instinct was to cook for these five humanoids that had just appeared in your home out of right. thin air.
2: Right. Well, the scripture was what went through my mind, and so I thought, well, this, this might be angels because of the scripture. And who was I to say what God's angels are supposed to look like? Of course, they didn't look like any pictures I had ever seen of angels with the wings and the, the long hair and a robe. Uh, they were dressed completely different, but I, I was trusting the Scripture, and I felt peace and love all around me uh, for some reason.
1: And, and uh, your, your seven children, uh, they, all, they were all in the house?
2: They were all in the house, they were in the living room sitting down along with my mother, and they were in a state of suspended animation. Now evidently the beings, or the leader, had put them in that state, because then after, uh, he had, uh, jumped back, I thought, knowledge tried by fire. The only thing I could think of was a Bible. It's been here for a long time and proven to be true. And so I told them uh, I had a Bible in the living room there, and we moved toward the living room. And the, the, at this point, there was only uh, four of them. Uh, evidently, the one had come in quickly and had gone over to where my father was, and I could not see that. But the, the four of them were standing there, and the leader said his name was Krasga. And I reached down for the Bible. Actually, it was my daughter... Uh, Becky's Bible because, uh, my children were going to the People's Church and the People's Church gave each one of my children a Bible, uh, so that they would learn about the Lord. And I also, of course, would talk with them about the Lord. And so, anyway, I reached down after the Bible and I passed it to the leader. He put it in his hand and he waved his hand over it and three other thinner books appeared and he passed them to the three that were beside him. And they held it in their hand, and without moving the pages, the pages moved automatically, but there was no print whatsoever on it. It was just like bright white light, and it seemed as if the three beings that were standing there were consuming whatever it was by their eyes, through their eyes. And uh, after that, uh, he gave me a thin blue book. Now, at that point, I was still concerned about my children and my mother just uh, sitting there in that uh, suspended state. And uh, the leader took my... must have known how my feelings were were because the leader took my daughter, Becky, out of it. She stood up. She could not move, but evidently she was seeing uh, the transaction going on of the thin blue book given to me. And I was told it was an initiation, and that I was able to keep it for 10 days, and I was to grasp as much as possible uh, out of the thin blue book, because then they would take it back, or it would be gone.
1: Let me just uh, jump in here uh, and remind listeners, Betty uh, Andreessen Luca and her husband Bob Luca are joining us on the line to talk about one of the most celebrated, uh, well-documented alien abduction cases ever, it's interesting that your sense was that these may have been angelic beings, and yet, based on your description, it almost sounds as if they weren't familiar with the Bible, because the leader, it sounded like you said he made copies of it somehow. And, and...
2: Right, he waved his hand over it, but the, the Word of God tells us also uh, that the angels would like to know what the Father is doing. And evidently, they don't have all that kind of oh. information. Okay. Now, right. why they did that, I don't know exactly, uh, but that is what happened at that time.
1: Now, your father uh, was not in a state of suspended animation. In fact, he was the first one to see these five uh, humanoids. Right. Um, right. What is what is he? How is he reacting at this point? I mean, you well, you seem to be very point, calm.
2: Uh, you know, the thing is, I went through regressive uh, hypnosis. To get a lot of the information out because I remembered an awful lot of it. But the thing was, um, uh, my father uh, also had seen the beings, and the the uh, the researchers were asking if they could speak with my father. And I asked him, "Would would you, Daddy? Would you please talk with him and tell what you saw?" Because he had told me uh, about it. But he says, "No, Betty, I don't want to because." Uh, he was afraid that, uh, you know, the government would get involved. Him being the man and me just a young woman, that he'd probably get the attack.
1: Well, his fear... It's he was fear. worried
2: that his Social Security would be taken away from him.
1: We will get to you, Bob, uh, because you entered the picture um, a little bit later, obviously, uh, when you married uh, Betty. But I want to get back to your father for just a moment, because he was, again, the first, uh, the first person, Betty, who saw these... Odd-looking individuals. These five. And his initial reaction was he thought that they were hallow. They were children dressed in Halloween costumes. Exactly, correct. Yeah. Right. And at some point did he did he leave the house and go outdoors?
2: Uh, not to my knowledge. No, he didn't. No.
1: Okay. All right. So he didn't actually see the the actual. Did he see the source of the uh, the light? Did he see a craft? Did either of you see a craft of some sort?
2: I don't think he would have seen the craft itself because after they took me out there, uh, the craft was on the um, a slight hill, like in the right in back of our house. And there was a smaller window in the pantry area, and then the larger one was toward the front, and he just saw them coming down like a slight part of the hill and then uh, disappear into the uh, porch to come into the house. Uh, That's what he had remembered. Uh, As far as him seeing the craft, he saw the uh, reddish-orange light uh, that was flashing through the window, however. Uh, He did not go to the the back smaller window in the pantry, he went immediately to the right where it was out front because he didn't know what it was, if it was the police department or the fire department, just as I felt.
1: And uh, you mentioned this insignia uh, on the, um, these humanoid, uh, on their uniform. uh, Was it a, it was a bird or an eagle, wasn't it? It was
2: like an eagle, yes. it, It looked sort of like a small eagle. The wings were smaller than what you'd, you know, imagine on an eagle's uh, frame. But, I mean, it was, uh, it looked like an eagle to me by the head.
1: Now, some people have described, uh, let's assume for a moment that these were gray, uh, these are grays. Uh, right. Some people have described them as being uh, sort of unfeeling, uh, sort of, you know, cold, almost robotic. Um did you get a sense of any, uh, uh, the, the word humanity is not the right word here necessarily, but did you get any feeling that they were empathetic, sympathetic, that they were feeling beings?
2: Yeah, I, I, I felt as if they were aware of what, everything that was going on because uh, when they heard, evidently in my mind, I was uh, concerned about uh, the children and they took Becky out of that uh, suspended state. She was standing there, could see but was not moving around. Uh, why I say this is because uh, uh, three or four days uh, later, after everything had happened, uh, she came to me and she says, Mommy, I keep on having a strange dream of strange people in our house, you know, and... When I had been given that blue book, I put it in my bedroom, in the bedroom closet up on a shelf, and I wasn't supposed to show anybody it, but because Becky, I was worried about Becky uh, seeing it and not able to let her know the reality of it, and so I thought I'm going to have to show her at least the book. I I wasn't going to open it up uh, so she could see it, but to at least see it. And I told her, Please, honey, don't tell your brothers or your sisters because I don't want them to be afraid. But they were here, yes. There was uh, strange people there. And I brought her into my bedroom. I took the uh, thin book down from the shelf in my closet, and I sat on the bed, and I held it in my hand. And she was amazed over it. She touched it with her hand. And when she did... Her, hand, She lifted her hand, and there were all sparkles all through her hand from it. And ever since then, she has been able to write a strange language, uh, and I think it must be theirs. Uh, and, you know, it just forms. She can just write it out. And I think that it is trying to show people something.
1: Why did they presume that you would be able to understand what was written in that book if it was written in this language? Were they uh, pictographs, hieroglyphics?
2: They were pictures of, it looked sort of like uh, parts of the craft. There was a strange writing in there, I I think, because, you know, I would pray to God, please let me understand this as I moved the pages, uh, you know, after page after page, and uh, I just was praying to God for me to understand what, why has this happened, and if they are angels, let me please understand some of the writing that is in there, because it was unusual.
1: At some point, uh, you're, you're taken aboard a craft, and, and eventually you find yourself on what you believe was the mothership. Can you explain or describe that experience?
2: Yes. I, I stood out front with them, and uh, Quasga was the name of the leader. He raised his hand, and when he did, uh, the lower half of the craft became a sort of transparent, the outer shell, and I could see what it looked like underneath, like the pots. There was like three stemmed uh, orbs, uh, large crystal orbs on the bottom and there was a smaller crystal orb on the top and then on the uh, metallic uh, stem there it reached out uh, with armatures and it grasped a crystal wheel and there was this tube or something a, a circular tube that was around uh, these three strange, Machines. So I saw that, and I've tried to draw, uh, remember in my mind, and draw down as much as I possibly could, so people would understand what I saw. Because it's impossible to say it just by words. Uh, by having the pictures there, it helps you to understand more what. Was going
1: on. Right, we should point out uh, that this is uh, in the Andreessen Affair, the true story of a close encounter of the fourth kind, written by uh, Raymond Fowler. You may be familiar with uh, the Watcher uh, books, and uh, Raymond, of course, a, a, an experiencer uh, himself. Um, you underwent rather interesting examination. At, at one point, uh, you were uh, placed in, you were submerged in liquid while sitting in a chair.
2: Yes, this was before. I was taken to an unusual uh, place. Uh, two beings were with me. They were dressed in silver suits and it, I went into a Quonset hut type shape, uh, shaped uh, how, um, room and there were eight chairs all together there and they were like sort of plastic or glass. There were four on one side, four on the other, and there was a track, a black track, that ran through the middle, and they placed me in one of these chairs, and they gave me uh, something very uh, sweet to drink, and they put things so that I could breathe, and then liquid was filled, filling the seat that I was in. And the the, uh, researchers thought, well, perhaps it was, something to transport me someplace, and I needed to be in, uh, immersed in a liquid or something so no harm would come for me. This is what the researchers thought it might have been. But after it was finished, they opened it, they, they drained it out, and, uh, the liquid, and then they opened the chair, and then I was to stand up, and one of the beings were in back of me and one in front of me. And we just suddenly started to move along the track, and we came up to the door and out into a cave-like area. And as we did, um, it was very dark there, and the two smaller beings put these black hoods over their head. They did not provide me with one, uh, but we moved along the track, and I could see I was in a cave-like a long, narrow cave, but there were some openings on on the sides of both sides of this cave because I could see darker areas, even though, but because of their suits, actually, that's the only thing that seemed, it was shining, and that's the only thing I could see, uh, you know, where we were. As we moved along, we came up to like a mirror, and we went right through the mirror into a red atmosphere. And in this strange red atmosphere, there were buildings. There was no vegetation, but there were these strange-looking creatures in there that uh, had, like, uh, by the neck, it had two stems and big eyes at the end of those stems. And they were moving all around, almost like they were sort of like what frogs would be able to hold on to something and, and right. move around.
1: How long do you think you were aboard that that craft? Do you have any way of knowing?
2: Not really.
1: Okay, but when you came...
2: I really don't know how long...
1: When you were returned to your home, you had no memory uh, of that, uh, of what transpired. This was all recovered later through...
2: Well, no, I I had a a small memory of just um, a person, one of the beings, being in my house. This I remembered way up until... Uh, we had moved from the place and we had built our own big house and, uh, it happened that I got a newspaper article that Dr. Heineck had out, uh, asking any, uh, one with something strange happening or a craft or whatever, uh, to please write to him. And all I had the memory of at that point was the one being with the, the big gray head with the black eyes and being dressed in a suit and uh and so i wrote the information down and i sent that into him now he filed it away in his files for 3 years and then a group of uh researchers along with uh Raymond Fowler um, had inquired of him if he had any uh uh like people or beings, humanoids, uh, that, humanoids right, humanoids uh, type uh, creatures that they could look into because they that group was studying that. And that's how it all began uh, because um, they got in touch with me, asked me if I would undergo regressive hypnosis. Now, uh, the thing was, I had that memory of the being uh, and so I wanted to find out and I said, yes, that might help me to understand what I saw and then when I was put under regressive hypnosis, the information just flooded out of me I was at times left open, the hypnotist left me open so that I would be doing some dishes or I'd be sweeping the floor and all of a sudden I'd remember some more of the what had happened, so it, it just came flooding out of me after it, it was in my subconscious mind, of course we we keep everything in our subconscious mind that we see or do and all our surroundings and so forth but it seemed as if through that regressive hypnosis that tool it helped to open up my memory of what had happened
0: and
1: uh, i guess you have talked about that perhaps they they implanted some knowledge in your brain which would come out later and and yes. um uh, uh, in the interim, they had placed some sort of an amnesia block in your mind.
2: Right, right. Well, uh, during the process of the, um, uh, when I was taken aboard the craft, uh, whatever uh, that was, that they put me in the the liquid, and then we went through the red atmosphere, and we were on this uh, black track. Well, through the whole process, uh, the thing is, um, I, I there was so much to remember there. But as I came before uh, this bright light in back of a bird, and I thought it was a huge eagle, I was a little fearful at that time. Also, uh, what happened was the light was so strong. I think I passed out at that time because what happened is I remember waking and seeing a large hill of like ashes and um, were burning, and like a worm came out of them. And there was such a bright light there, and a voice spoke to me and said, I have chosen, first of all, it called me twice. And then it says, I have chosen you to show the world. And so I think that is the information that has been implanted in me uh, to let people know what I went through and uh, what is beyond what our understanding of our earthly life is concerned. There is more to life than we could possibly realize.
1: All right, Betty, stay put. When we come back, uh, your husband, uh, Bob Luca, Coincidentally, or perhaps not, also underwent a rather interesting experience in 1967. Mm -hmm. Pulled from his car. Another abduction case. And uh, he'll join us when we return. The Andreessen Affair. Betty and Bob Luca. It's the tea everyone is talking about, and nothing does what Life Change Tea does. Life Change Tea from GetTheTea.com leaves me feeling refreshed and healthy every day. Why not discover for yourself what this amazing line of organic, non-GMO, caffeine-free herbal tea can do for you. In fact, there's some great deals happening right now at GetTheTea.com, just in time for Christmas. Check this out. Buy two Super Teas and get one for free. This special includes three one-month supply packages of Super Strength Tea. That's eight tea bags per package. Start feeling rejuvenated right now. There's also a holiday special on my favorite, the Formula 13 Pomegranate Tea. Buy 2 get 1 for free. 8 bags of Tea Yields 4 gallons which lasts 1 month and it's a new stronger formula. The same strength cleanse as the Super Tea. These amazing herbal teas that provide a daily gentle cleanse are not available in any store. Go to getthetea.com. Use the code UNLIMITED to get free shipping on your first order. This Christmas give the gift of health, happiness and well-being at getthetea.com.
0: If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. (laughs) Conspiracy Unlimited (laughs) with Richard Serrett.
1: All right, back to uh Betty and Bob Luca. the Andreessen affair. Betty uh, uh I mean if that wasn't life-changing uh, enough, that would be enough for most people for 10 lifetimes. Um, you you your life was uh, turned absolutely upside down again. Sure I... you, you your um, your the father of your your children disappeared.
2: Mhm.
1: You you lost two sons in a tragic yeah. uh, car accident. Your your father passed away. Yeah. Um how were you able to, to cope with all of that? Oh, it Plus, was
2: the Lord Jesus that has gotten me through all the way, even till now.
1: All right, I want to I want to work Bob in here. Bob, welcome again, and thanks for your patience. Well, thank you. Uh, tell me the story. This is a short segment. We've got about f- uh, four minutes here, and we'll pick it up on the other side with you. But but how? Uh, to first, tell me a little bit, uh, give us the uh, the Reader's Digest version of your abduction experience, coincidentally also in 1967, and then explain how you and, and Betty uh, hooked up. Sure. Well, in 1967,
3: I was on my way to the beach. It was a beautiful, bright, sunny day. I came to a uh, quarry, and there was a railroad spur going into the quarry, and there were five men working on this railroad spur, unfortunately but they weren't working they were all looking up in the sky so I looked up and much to my amazement I saw two huge cigar shaped craft very bright like um, like polished chrome reflecting in the sunlight and they were headed from where I was they were headed toward New Haven Connecticut so I pulled my car over because obviously these were not airplanes. They had no wings, no tail section, no windows, no exhaust, no noise. So I pulled my car over and I watched as they were traveling side by side. And then two smaller disc-shaped objects actually dropped out of these. One went off toward New Haven, one went in the other direction. I thought, wow, that's interesting. I watched till they were out of sight. And then I resumed my trip to the beach. And this was in a rural area. There were no houses in that area at the time. Uh, I got down the road a few miles, and one of the saucer-shaped craft came back. And it was pulled over uh, to the left-hand side of my car. It came down kind of like a floating leaf motion. It stopped several feet above the ground. And I remember looking at it, and all of a sudden there was a brilliant flash of a deep red light, almost like a ruby ray laser. And somehow this light took me inside this craft. And inside there was the first thing I saw was one typical gray, and they had on a red skin tight uniform with a lightning bolt emblem on the left chest. Four others came up from a lower area of the craft. I was asked to remove my clothing I was put on a table that I can only compare today to uh, possibly plexiglass. And this was a very strange table because there were no restraints whatsoever on it. And yet it was just like I was super glued to the thing. I could could move my eyes and my head just a little bit.
1: How did you and and, and Betty uh, manage to hook up?
3: Well, 10 years later, I had uh, taken a trip around the country with a friend of mine. We was looking for work out of state. We left Connecticut, and we went down through Texas, California, uh, Washington State, and we were actually coming back to Connecticut. We were at a rest area, and for some reason we decided to go to Florida, which was thousands of miles out of our way, uh, round trip. I got to Florida, and my friend's sister-in-law lived there, so we were staying with her, and one evening during supper, she mentioned that she had uh, known a woman that had had a UFO experience. And I said, God, I'd like to talk to her because I had mine bottled up for 10 years. I didn't. I told my parents and my best friend and that was it uh, because I didn't want to end up in an asylum or something. So I went down to where Betty worked and she wouldn't talk to me because the book's author, Raymond Fowler, told her beware of reporters. It took me quite a bit of convincing, but I finally talked her into having lunch with me the next day The next day we went out, I bought lunch for her, and I've been buying it pretty much ever since.
1: (laughs) Funny how that works out, isn't
3: it? (laughs) Oh, that's how it went.
1: (laughs) Well, and do you, the fact that, I mean, the fact that you both had your abduction experiences in 1967, do you, is there something at work here, do you think, Were were you being drawn together?
2: I think so, because uh, we also had a child experience, and that was in uh, 1944. So it it seems as if uh, we were drawn together.
1: Well, we we should point out that, that, uh, Betty, prior to your uh, abduction in 1967, you had other uh, encounters.
2: Yes, I did. Do you
1: want to spend just a moment talking about those?
2: Well, I had, uh, as a child... uh, Um, I was waiting for my girlfriend to come over to play dolls with me. I was outside in a little hut my brother had made. And all of a sudden, a bee came in the hut, and it circled me, and it was a tiny ball of light. It struck me in the forehead right between the eyes. I went down and out, and I heard a voice speaking with me, and it said, "'The wee little one is coming along fine.'" and that I would be very happy uh, very soon. Uh, So after that uh, experience, I'll let you know what Bob's childhood experience is. Bob will tell you.
3: Go ahead, Bob. In 1944, my dad was overseas. It was during the war, and I was on a swing set in my backyard, and uh, we were living at my grandmother's house. And I was on the swing set, and even as a child, I noticed an unusual light in the sky And this light came closer and closer toward me, it stopped, it hovered above and slightly to the left of me. Uh, It had a domed top on it that looked like glass or plexiglass, whatever. As it tilted, I could see two what we would call typical gray beings in there uh, today. And they told me through the mind that they were preparing something for mankind that would be good in the future, and they also said that people like me, having seen them, that they had visited many, many people, and in the future, we these people would meet, which proved to be uh, very, very true. And that was in 1944. So Betty and I both had experiences in 44, 67, and then 78. We were both taken together.
1: Um Talk to me, uh, first Bob, and uh, and then I'll get Betty to weigh in, but talk about how various secret government agencies have invaded your your private life.
3: Well, the first thing that happened when the book came out, I think the government was a little dismayed that people were believing us. And what happened was the very first thing we noticed was these black military helicopters, Huey UH UH-1s and Sikorsky Blackhawks very low over our home. There's a picture of that, our, sorry
1: Bob, there's a picture of that up on the uh, the live stream right now. Right. This, oh, okay. is a photo, this is a photograph that you took in 1980, I believe.
3: Right, over our home in Cheshire. Right. Well, th- this became a, an everyday thing with us. didn't matter if we were in Florida, Connecticut, New Hampshire. That was one. Number two, they brought in the IRS, and we had yearly audits until the fourth year when I overpaid my taxes on purpose. And that stopped. They uh, Our telephone was tapped. We were followed, and as a young fellow, I used to build race cars and race on the street because there were no, no racetracks near where I lived. I, several times I was able to get behind the cars that were following us. We got the license plate numbers. I gave them to police officer Larry Fawcett, who was also a UFO investigator. They came back as unissued. So this is obviously government. Uh, on one occasion, Betty and I snuck out of the house at 3 o'clock in the morning, hooked up our camp trailer, and left. That was on a Saturday evening, uh, Tuesday, uh, two FBI agents with photo ID showed up at my job and questioned my supervisors and my co-workers as to where we were. Now, even right now, today, uh, I have a case with the FBI against the Department of Defense, the United States Navy Space Weapons Division, and... The U.S. Army both hacked into my computer within forty-eight hours.
1: How are you able to determine that, Bob?
3: Well, I had been a computer technician and I had some a really good software. Uh, the software gave me the ID numbers, and then I went to Who Is on <clears throat> online, and it gave me the computer ID, the physical ad, street address, the owner's ID, the operator's ID, and I have a letter of admission from the uh... army inspector general admitting that it was in fact their computers since then i have tried to uh, i've gone through my congressman i've gone to the united states attorney general and i have no answers yet as to why this took place so i'm I have asked the fbi uh... to bring charges against them because this is a federal crime hacking computers and i have the proof i have the letter of admission So now I'm just waiting on the FBI to hopefully, uh, you know, be able to give us some information. And possibly I've been told that the government can be sued for this. Um, It's not, you know, we're not looking to make money on it or anything like that, but I would like answers especially why the Navy Space Weapons Division is on our computer.
1: Now, uh, we, uh, we had in, uh, invited you to join us on the live stream and appear on webcam on uh, on the HO the Hangout on Air, and you, you graciously declined, explaining that you were nervous about appearing on, on webcam because you feel you're still being monitored.
3: Yeah, we, yeah. We, we don't use the webcam because my computer has been hacked, uh, a number of times. Oh, in addition to that, so yeah. uh, I didn't think it would be a good idea to have a webcam.
1: Uh, Betty, are there still uh, uh, still experiences happening? Yes, with there
2: is. Uh, I've uh, well, I've had many more experiences. In between, I had uh, one where they put an implant within me, and that wasn't. Then, in 1967, they took one of those implants out of my uh, nose. And they also checked me for procreation. But there was so much involved there. Uh, There were so many different times that we had some experiences, you know. There's five books that are written by Raymond Fowler about the uh, different experiences that we went through. And now uh, I have had another experience with the, and I'm finding out who the one is that I have been approached by.
1: Do either of you have any regret about going public with your story? Mm, Not outside of the harassment?
2: Yeah, just the harassment uh, was, you know, that was terrible at times.
1: And, and, uh, Bob, I I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this. Uh, Obviously, the story's out there, that that, um, this was a stepson. uh, Was it your son, Bob, who in 2007 uh, came out and said that this entire story was a hoax? Could you address that for us?
3: Oh, sure. We we did put a letter on our uh, website, andreasanaffair.com. Robert did pretty well until when my uh, father passed away. Robert had gotten involved at that time with drugs and alcohol, and he was for some reason irritated. He thought that my father should have left him the bulk of his estate. And he harassed me, he harassed the attorney that made my father's will, he harassed his brother and sister, and I finally, I had enough, I disowned him at that time, that was in 2005. I wouldn't talk to him. I told him, don't bother coming around. I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear from you. And I figured, you know, maybe after a couple of years, things would cool down. We get back together. Well, this was his way of getting even with me. Uh, Anybody that reads the stuff he wrote can see that it's just, you know, it's a total confabulation. I mean, he he put in that I I never had the report from MIT on the uh, possible implant that came out of my ear, I've still got that right here in an envelope in my in my files. Um, Every pretty much everything we had done had been documented. A lot of the stuff we saw had been witnessed by the investigators as well. Even even the psychiatrist who returned after a couple years to talk to Betty again uh, spent an evening with us at our home, and he himself saw two very unusual things happen. Uh, One, there was a heck of a noise in our kitchen about two o'clock in the morning and no one was there uh, he stayed till about five we got out of the house and we we're talking in the front yard about five thirty. and this huge cigar-shaped cloud stopped over our house while other clouds were moving this one stopped and it got thin it was very thick in the center and it got thinner out toward the edges you could almost see the stars through it and he finally looked at me and he said did you see that and I said, yeah, but I wasn't going to mention it until you saw it first.
1: All right, so just another day at the Andreessen house.
3: Uh, police officer Fawcett, once he started our, uh, investigating our case, he had the black helicopters over his house. He was approached
1: by uh, the military and asked to sign a secrecy agreement. But Bob and, and Betty, I really appreciate the time uh, you, you've spent with us, and I, and I hope to have you back on if you'd be good for that, and we can uh, delve into this further.
3: Oh, sure, our sure, pleasure. Sure.
1: Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back with some more details on an upcoming episode. If you want to support my work here at Strange Planet, please consider becoming an official donor. It's easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash There are several donation tiers to choose from from a dollar per month to $50 a month. For the month of December, new donors at the $10, $20, and $50 per month tier receive a free mug from My Strange Planet shop. Donors in the $20 tier also have their names appear on a crawl during the YouTube live stream of my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, and donors in the $50 tier receive a special on-air thank you on my radio program. Whatever you give Your support helps keep my radio program and this podcast going. Help me pursue the truth wherever it leads. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Thank you and God bless. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited. An expert witness and researcher reveals the rarely discussed connection between antidepressant medication and mass shootings.
2: It was a group of mutant mice from an experiment that had gone terribly wrong. And these mice lacked the liver enzyme they needed to break down serotonin. So their serotonin levels were naturally very high. And the researchers did not know that in the beginning. They just noticed how extremely violent the mice were. That if they would drop one into a cage with another one, they would just shred one
0: another.
1: Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.